Welcome, folks, to The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, The Catholic Foodie, and I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Beautiful Friday morning, kind of hot down here in South Louisiana, but I'm very excited because we are in the season of Advent, one of my most favorite times of the year. And it's important, you know, for us Catholics, we we kind of sense this, we know this, we grow up, I guess, if you're a cradle Catholic, kind of grow up in this ethos, in this um, time where we, we understand that there's a difference between the Advent season and the Christmas season, despite what the department stores and the grocery stores and, and everything else would have you believe, you know, where they start playing Christmas music uh, before Thanksgiving even gets here. Uh, but but we grow in this, we have this kind of innate understanding of the difference between Advent and Christmas. I'll tell you though, folks, it is challenging, isn't is it not? It is challenging, I think, today to uh, to keep that difference, to keep the two separate seasons separate, you know, Advent and Christmas. Uh, I find it more difficult each year um, as I get older. Uh, life seems to move more quickly. I wish they would have told me that. Somebody should have to- told me that when I was a younger uh, man, that as you get older, time moves faster. Uh, it's kind of taking me by surprise now at the age of 45. Um, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge to uh, to, to kind of take the season as it is, right, to be here in the now. And that's what we're going to talk about today on The Catholic Foodie. We have a lot of good things today to talk about. We have uh, Advent. I want to give you some reflections, some, some thoughts about this Advent season and what we're preparing for, and perhaps throw in a recipe or two. And also... Tomorrow, the church celebrates the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I want to talk to you about that, too, uh, just for a bit, share some stories with you. And again, if we have time for it, I'd love to uh, share a recipe, maybe a, a, a Mexican, a unique Mexican recipe with you. Uh, something that you might want to enjoy tomorrow on that special feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, if I can't, if we don't, if we if we run out of time, not a problem. I'm going to send you, give you the links of where you can find those recipes. But I will at least tell you about the dish uh, here on the show. All right, boy, that's a lot of stuff to cover right here in the beginning of the show. I hope that you have uh, are doing well today. It's a busy time. It is a busy time uh, uh, for families today, uh, but it's the Advent season. You know, the Advent season always starts a new year uh, in the church, a new liturgical year, uh, which I thought I just find that to be an awesome awesome thing. You know, we don't start the new year on January 1st. We started actually with the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, whenever we start Advent, I can't help but think about time, you know, time just in general. Uh, typically, I think for most, it's it's uh, we're pressed during this time, during the holiday season, which is another term, I think a secular term for Advent, right? The holiday season. Uh, But we shouldn't forget during this busy time that time itself is a gift from God. And like all God's gifts, his gift of time to us is perfect. You know, we we oftentimes think, oh, I need more time in the day, right? Uh, I need to find time to do something. I need to make time to do something uh, for the important things in life. Usually we say that, right? I need to find time to exercise. I need to find time or make time to pray, you know, but those expressions that we use are flawed. You know, we can't make time. We can't make time. Uh, we can't find time. time. There's t- 
time isn't lost. God has given each of us 24 hours in a day. Uh, That's all the time there is, and that's really all the time that we need. Uh, But there's some truth in the meaning behind the expressions that we use. You know, Advent is a good time to reflect on how we use the time that, that God gives us. There's something about Advent time. You know, there's the expectation, the anticipation, the excitement of the holidays. But I think that there's something more than that. You know, Advent highlights the one activity we do all year long. Uh, Often without realizing it, we're doing it. We're waiting, right? We're waiting. But waiting for what? Ultimately, we're waiting for salvation. Ultimately, we're waiting for our Savior. You know, when I was a kid, the anticipation I felt for Christmas was palpable. It was exciting. It was a joy, a happiness in the waiting. Why? Because whatever it was that I was expecting for Christmas was going to make me happy, really happy. (laughs) That was the expectation, right? But you know what happened? Every year, Christmas came and Christmas went. And the excitement, the exhilaration disappeared. Usually the day after Christmas, sometimes the day of Christmas. In those moments, I felt the sting of a harsh reality. Whatever it was that I hoped would make me really happy, didn't make me really happy. And the happiness that I truly, or the the happiness that I had in the waiting, in the anticipating, right, the anticipation was gone for another year. I didn't recognize what I truly longed for. You know, if you had asked me, I would have told you that I was waiting for a new Commodore 64. Remember those? Uh, Or maybe a pack of shrinky dinks. (laughs) I'm showing my age here now. Uh, The 70s, folks. I loved it. The 70s and 80s. Shrinky dinks. uh, Or the rock'em sock'em fighting robots. I used to love that, too. I actually did get that for Christmas one year. Oh, what a a toy. Rock'em sock'em fighting robots. But... What I didn't know then, and I can kind of get a glimmer of now, is that what I was really waiting for was salvation, right? It's the ultimate happiness, salvation. But at that age, you know, I was not aware of that. I was only uh, aware of rock'em, sock'em, fighting robots. I wasn't aware that, that that toy, that toy really wasn't going to bring me the happiness that I sought. And it wasn't certainly not going to bring me the ultimate happiness or salvation. I didn't know at the time that salvation comes from God alone. Now that I'm older and hopefully a bit wiser, I do recognize that the thing that I'm truly seeking is salvation, right? It's it's salvation that is the ultimate happiness. But I admit that I'm still dense enough to think from time to time that rock'em sock'em could make me happy. It, maybe not really the rock'em sock'em, but maybe the latest iPhone app or the latest iPhone, right? At least in the short term. Uh, but we all know that that's not true, right? I mean, iPhone isn't going to make me happy. The new, the latest and greatest Kindle isn't going to make me happy. Uh, my favorite meal around the table will get me closer <laughs> to that happiness because I'm sharing it with family and friends. But ultimately, that meal comes and goes, and so does that sense of happiness that that comes with it. Yep, uh, Advent is a season of waiting. Uh, We church folk know that Advent is all about waiting for the baby Jesus to be born in a manger. But I wonder, you know, in all the hustle and bustle of the season, do we really get it? Do we really get it? You know, for thousands of years, the chosen people 
waited for the Messiah. Sometimes they were keenly aware of their need for a Savior. Sometimes they were comfortable just as they were. You know, I guess we are really a lot like they were. I know that I'm not always mindful of my need for a Savior. Sure, in general, yes, I acknowledge that I cannot save myself. But in the nitty-gritty of daily life, do I always recognize my need for a Savior? Do I remember that I cannot save myself? Do I recognize that Apple or William Sonoma <laughs> or Target cannot really make me happy? No, in the little details and situations of life, unfortunately, I tend to believe that I can save myself and that things will make me happy. That is why I love Advent so much. If I can just quiet down and slow down, not only will I see more clearly my need for a Savior, but I will also feel more tangibly the anticipation of His arrival. In uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul writes, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And as we enter Advent, I take to heart these words of St. Paul. I want to make the most of the time. I want to pray. I want to recognize the time of my visitation, the time where God is coming to me here now in this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. I do not want to be blind. I want to see. I have been blind for far too long, Jesus. I long to see. And in seeing, I will pour out my praise and thanks to God. You know, I reflect also on something else uh, that uh, that Paul wrote. This is in Colossians. This is from a reading that my wife and I had at our uh, at the mass of our wedding. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also do. And over all these put on love, that is, the bond of perfection, and let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as in all wisdom you teach and admonish one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. God's patience is ordered toward our salvation, Peter writes to us in Second Peter. Uh, we have just a few short weeks of Advent before we rejoice in the coming of the Lord. Let us not waste the opportunity, rather, let us make the most of this time. Behold, now is a very acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. How will you make the most of your time to prepare yourself to meet Jesus this Christmas? I'd love to hear about it. Give me a call, 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. You can leave me a voice message there. Tell me about how you're preparing this Advent. I'd love to hear your voice. I'd love to play it on the show. You can also reach me via email at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Very exciting time right now, folks, in Advent and also the Year of Mercy. Maybe we could say a little bit about that, uh, too, in this show. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. Don't go away. we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute.
Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Breadbox Media. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie. You can find out more about the Catholic Foodie and all the Catholic culinary inspiration that I provide to help you grow in faith around the table, help your family get back in the kitchen uh, over at catholicfoodie.com. We're talking today about Advent. We're going to be talking a little bit a little bit later also about the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe, which is tomorrow. Very exciting feast day for me. And I'll tell you a little bit about that uh, in just a minute. First of all, you know, the, the first segment there, we talked about Advent and how it always makes me think of time itself and what it's all about. And this whole aspect of preparing, preparing ourselves for the birth of Christ. And really the, uh, the fact that we all long for salvation, right? God made us that way. You know, I have to tell you, excuse me, that, uh, Advent has a special place in my heart. You know, as I mentioned, it's a time of anticipation, not for the presence that Santa will leave under the tree, but for the gift of Jesus that the Father gives to us, both 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem and today, right now, in whatever circumstances you and I find ourselves, God is here with us. Yeah, I love that from Isaiah, Emmanuel is the name, right? Emmanuel, God with us. God is right here with us. You know, during Advent, we also look forward to being together with Jesus forever in heaven. Uh, they always talk about the three uh, comings uh, of Advent, right? The the coming of, of Jesus 2,000 years ago, the coming of Jesus right now today. In a very wonderful way, we can see that in the Eucharist. He comes to us in bodily, you know, physically, sacramentally in the Eucharist. And then also the coming at the end of time, that that God, that Jesus comes to us in the, in the second coming at the end of time. Uh, I mentioned in the first uh, in the first segment, you know, about Advent when I was a kid. Yeah, I couldn't wait for Christmas for the arrival of Santa. You know, Advent for me was anything was was anything uh, wasn't anything more than than waiting and expectant waiting for for Santa and for the presents that he would bring. You know, I confess that <clears throat> Christmas itself lost its meaning for me in childhood once I learned the Santa secret. You know, I, I remember a couple of years in a row of just having, I mean, I was depressed on Christmas day <laughs> because, because I had grown up, you know, and, uh, oh, it was a terrible, terrible feeling. And, uh, but I, I, I'm very happy to say that all that changed in Mexico back in 1989. You know, Advent 1989 found me in Tijuana, Mexico. I was in religious formation with Mother Teresa's uh, priests, the Missionaries of Charity Fathers. At the time, I had been there for almost a year. Uh, It would be the first time in my life that there would be no presence under the tree for me or for anybody. You know, it would be a Christmas, uh, however, the best Christmas, I should say, uh, that I had ever celebrated. Very interesting, huh? Very, very interesting. It's something that we probably, I think, just going through the motions of our daily lives here in the United States never would think about, typically. But the best Christmas for me was the, the, the year that there were no presents under the tree. You know, one of the great graces of being in the seminary was the opportunity to enter fully into the life, uh, the liturgical life of the church. Daily Mass, praying the liturgy of the hours four times a day, morning, noon, evening, and night. Uh, a daily rosary, and then fellowship with my fellow seminarians. <clears throat> Lovely weather we're having down here in South Louisiana. It's, I think, 80 degrees outside on December 11th. 
humid as could be, allergens all over the place. Love it. I love it. I'm going to offer this up for you and for the souls in purgatory. Praise God. All right. So um, where was I? Uh, Advent, Advent 1989 in Mexico. Uh, liturgy of the hours four times a day. I mentioned daily rosary, fellowship with my uh, fellow seminarians. You know, Advent 1989 was the first time that I really experienced the beauty of the season. Think about it. We live in a time that is just so busy. We live distracted lives. Uh, so much going on. It's very, very difficult. Even if you go to mass daily, I still think very, very difficult to really experience the liturgical seasons. It's challenging, very difficult. But in the seminary, when I lived there, I lived on the grounds of a monastery, St. Joseph, uh, Joseph Abbey in Covington, Louisiana. Uh, when I was, I'm, I'm getting my time confused here. I'm referring to, to my time in Mexico with Mother Teresa's priest. So I lived there. I was part of that, that, uh, that community, living in the seminary, experiencing the fullness of the liturgical life at the time. And then later I did live, I was in the uh, seminary a second time uh, with studying for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And that was St. Joseph Abbey. I've got that on my mind because I'm going to be at the Abbey tomorrow for an event. Um, (laughs) So two times, but really being able to enter in, to immerse oneself, as they say, in the liturgical celebration, the full liturgical life of the church. Uh, so Advent 1989 was the first time for me that I really experienced the beauty of the season. It was the first time that I longed to celebrate the birth of Jesus and I longed for it with an expectant faith. It really was amazing. You know, uh, yesterday I was looking through some old journals and I came across one of the journals from uh, from my time in Mexico back in 1989. And I, I'm somewhat embarrassed to share with you what my young 19-year-old self uh, wrote in very simplistic terms, but I'm going to share with you anyway. Uh, it highlights why that Christmas was so special for me. Here, here's what I wrote. It says, um, this Christmas is a very special one for me. I think this has been and is the best Christmas I have ever had. God is so good. I have been given the grace to see many things this Christmas. I feel closer to God, our Father, to the Holy Spirit, and to our infant King, and to Our Lady, the saints, and all of my brothers and sisters on earth, we all find our union before the crib. That's what I wrote. We all find our union before the crib. You know, in February uh, last year, 2014, I led the first Food Meets Faith pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'd always wanted to go to the Holy Land to walk in the footsteps of Jesus to just be close to the places where he was while on earth. Uh, We started our pilgrimage in the north in Nazareth and then moved south to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. I I, I tell you, I fully expected the highlight of my pilgrimage to be our visit to the great Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, which houses both Calvary, where Jesus was crucified and died, and the tomb of the resurrection. But it wasn't. It was not the, the, the highlight of my pilgrimage. It was not the thing that rocked my world as I, as I, as I really anticipated it to be. Uh, what really impacted me the most was Bethlehem and the church of the nativity. You know, God comes to us in the flesh, in the incarnation, right? In fleshed incarnation. Uh, he comes to us in the flesh. He is not afraid 
of our messiness and our imperfection. He is not afraid of our sins. Think about that. He is not afraid. Jesus is not afraid of your sins. He's not afraid of our of my sins. He is not afraid of our brokenness. He comes to us in love and in our, in our imperfection and messiness. When God became man in Jesus of Nazareth, everything changed. Spirituality is no longer about striving to lose or overcome our humanity. It's about embracing it, but it's about embracing our true humanity. And Jesus comes to set us free. Jesus comes to heal us. Jesus comes to enable us to be fully human. And that's the beautiful thing, I think, about our Catholic faith, right? Living a sacramental life, being in a state of grace. That's the beautiful thing about it because it enables us to truly live and to be fully human. We really do all find our union before the crib. You know, if Jesus was born to love me and to save me and to heal me, then he was born to love you and to save you and to heal you. And that simple fact should radically affect the way that I relate with you. Oops, I got a little, sorry about that. That simple fact should radically affect the way that I relate with you and the way that I treat you. Because God's just not here for me only. He's here for me and for you. I remember reading something somewhere, somebody wrote, probably somebody holy and famous, that we never approach God alone. You know, matter of fact, when we pray that great prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and we pray it in the rosary a number, excuse me, a number of times, we pray it at mass together all the time. How does it start? Our Father, right? Our Father. We come to God together. And so we find this unity, our union before the crib, at the crib, you know, that God came to save us. Jesus came to save us, not just me, but us. And so it should affect the way that I treat my family. It should affect the way that I treat you. That's very important. There's so much to say about the incarnation, how the incarnation impacts my relationship with others, especially within my family, because that's where, you know, the family is a school of love, I like to say when I got married that I was that God matriculated me into the school of love, uh, marriage and family being that school. I have learned to love in ways that I never knew that I needed to, to, to grow and to learn. Never knew it. Had I known it, I probably would have run in fear. <laughs> Instead of uh, meeting my wife at the altar, I probably would have ran if I could really see what God wanted to do to me how he wanted me to grow and the ways he wanted me to expand. And it's still a challenge every single day, every single day. But this is what it's all about, folks. This is what it's all about, growing in love. You know, I'm no longer in the seminary. I'm married. I have three, uh, four wonderful children, four children. Wow. Daily mass, liturgy of the hours, daily rosary. Doesn't always happen for me. It's more difficult for me really to enter into Advent because of the busyness of life, family life, just work, everything. You know, that's why I, I, I so much, I, I desperately need resources, help um, to help me through this season. And I'm going to list some for you uh, maybe in the next segment and, and certainly put links in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. But we are coming up on a break here. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie on Breadbox Media. We do have to take a break, but don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie, and you are listening to this show, the Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. So glad that you were here with me today. We're talking Advent today. I know we are quickly approaching the halfway mark here uh, in Advent. Today is the 11th of December. Uh, we celebrate uh, Gaudete Sunday, Gaudete Sunday, uh, Rejoice Sunday, um, this Sunday. You know, so we are we are really getting close here uh, to Christmas, but it's not too late, folks. It is not too late to enter into the season even more deeply than we have up to this point. Um, and I'm going to share with you a few resources, things that I love to do and to read and to meditate upon and to do with my family uh, in the Advent season. Uh, Advent wreath, of course, we have an Advent wreath on the table. I love the tradition of the Advent wreath, even though. I must admit, you know, uh, it can be challenging sometimes at the the dinner table when, you know, the kids fight over who gets to light the candle, but that's okay. You know, we get into a schedule and they alternate, they take turns and hopefully we, it's just a challenge to remember, okay, whose turn is it now? (laughs) But that's, um, that's part of the fun. I think of it, part of the fun. I do want to mention a couple of friends of mine have written, uh, meditation books, Advent books that are very, very handy for uh, families, for families to use. And uh, we love these. Uh, one, the first one um, I can share with you is uh, my friend Lisa Hindi has written a, a booklet. It's called O Radiant Dawn. It's available on Amazon. I, I'm going to put a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. And I'll do the same thing with, with all these resources uh, that I mention. Uh, Welcome Baby Jesus. Uh, this is an Advent meditation booklet for families. This is written by my friend Sarah Reinhardt. I love this one. It is so uh, practical and it's so great for kids. You know, kids can really relate right away to the meditations that are in there. Very family oriented. So, O Radiant Dawn and then Welcome Baby Jesus. Those are offerings from uh, my friends Lisa Hindi of CatholicMom.com fame and then Sarah Reinhardt, who is at SnoringScholar.com. And Sarah is also, well, Sarah, both of them. Lisa and Sarah, both all over the internet, you'll find them anywhere that you find good Catholic content online. You're probably going to see those names. Um, I'm very, very honored to to call them both uh, friends. Now, here's one that's new to me um, this year. I'm, I'm reading through this one this year. It's called The Advent of Christ, and uh, it's written by Edward Shree. Uh, Dr. Edward Sri, and uh, who's a theologian, and it's just really awesome. Very, very practical. Helps to kind of fill in some backstory. You know, you start to think about what was the big deal. You know, for for thousands of years, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. What was that waiting and that expectation all about? And how does Jesus fulfill that? Not only two thousand years ago, but today for me. How, how does he fulfill that? So I'm getting a lot out of that uh, uh, that book. I would recommend it. Uh, Matthew Kelly, uh, author Matthew Kelly, has a book out called Rediscover Advent. Again, links to all these will be available to you over at catholicfoodie.com. It'll be the most recent post uh, up after this uh, airing today, this airing of the radio show today. So just go to catholicfoodie.com and you will see that. Now, you know, we have traditions every Advent, uh, a lot of different traditions. Uh, some of those traditions specific, specifically are dealing with Advent and trying to remember that we are not in the Christmas season yet, even though 
it certainly is tempting with uh, the Christmas music playing at all the stores and uh, commercials on television. And, you know, we do pull out the Christmas tree. It's, you know, I do know families who uh, will maybe put a tree up, but they don't decorate it until Christmas Eve. And I understand all that. And I think that, that that's laudable laudable, but I know it's, it's very challenging, especially when you cut, when you, we grew up, my wife and I both, where, you know, you grow, you, you decorate your tree at the beginning of Advent, you get a tree and you decorate it early on. And so it's, it's a, it's a challenging thing. And I think for us, in some ways, we've just had to make certain compromises that still allow us to try our best to enter into the season of Advent. Uh, some of the things that we do, you know, as a Catholic foodie, I guess you can imagine that some of the things that we do in Advent would involve food. I'll tell you that just last Sunday, and this happens as an annual event, uh, usually it's around the first week or so of December, uh, on my wife's side of the family, uh, there's a, a, a big gathering. Uh, you, you maybe could call it a, an annual uh, Christmas family reunion. It's part family reunion, part Christmas party. There's no gifts exchanged, um, but there are a few. Um, well, if you remember, I'm losing my train of thought here. If you remember, my, my wife is, is of Lebanese descent. And so the, her side of the family is big. You know, just just imagine my big fat Greek wedding. Okay, if you've seen that movie, you might be able to relate or, or get a glimpse here of what I'm talking about, where you have like you know 26 first cousins, that kind of thing. You know, and you've got, you know, it's just everybody's there, everybody's very social, everybody's loud. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, always a lot of fun, and the and there's great food there, always great food, and so it is. It's a, it's a Lebanese feast. You know, we had uh, one of the, the most unusual dishes, probably to those uh, folks, perhaps yourself, uh, who is not um, well acquainted with uh, Lebanese cuisine, would be the kibinai. You know, kibinai, which uh, I have written about uh, on uh, over at CatholicFoodie.com. I've talked about it before on the radio show. Kibinai is actually a dish that is prepared with raw lamb. It is a very finely ground uh, raw lamb. And, uh, you have to be very cautious. You know, when you go to make this purchase of, of the lamb, you want to go to a reputable butcher. You want to make sure you're getting quality cuts. Uh, they, they typically, you know, especially if you're living in an area where you have a large uh, Lebanese population than, than the, like in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, then, then you're going to have butchers who, who know what you want. They, they know, they know why you're there. And they know that you're going to be eating this raw, right? So you're getting a high quality cut and it is prepared. It's prepared. It's ground very finely. And you, you've got some onions in there. You have uh, seasoning, salt, pepper. We like to add a lot of cayenne. Uh, you also have very fine bulgur wheat. Uh, same thing you're going to find in like a tabbouleh salad. Um, the bulgur wheat, uh, it, it's a, it's a cracked wheat that is dehydrated when you, when you buy it, you've got to rehydrate it, uh, to use it. And, um, you prepare this, you're going to add some olive oil to the kibinai and you're going to add some lemon juice. So there is a little bit of citrus going into it. And, and what you're doing is you're preparing, um, it's, it's kind of like a dip is what it ends up being. Uh, you can dip, uh, some, some of us like to dip lettuce, uh, maybe the, the romaine hearts, you know, that center of the romaine head, uh, where you have some sturdier, uh, leaves and they're smaller, uh, not quite bite size. You're going to probably take a few bites out of that leaf, but it's easy to hold and use it almost as a, a spoon 
or an alternative to uh, pita bread, right? But pita could also be used to eat the kibinai. Kibinai is deeply traditional, not only here, but also in the Middle East. Um, and kibinai would be something that was served on a day that um, a, a lamb a sheep or, or a goat or whatever was, uh, was butchered, right? Because if you go back in time before refrigeration, what did they do? They, every, they used everything. It was old school, right? They used everything from the snout to the hoof, uh, everything. And so they would have, and it was fresh because it was the day of the, the slaughter uh, that you knew the meat was fresh. It wasn't going to be bad. Uh, and so they could eat some of it raw and prepared this way. Uh, nowadays, it's a little bit different because you have, yes, we have refrigeration. You also don't have a slaughterhouse in your village, typically. You know, you're going to have some uh, travel time, some distance uh, between the actual uh, slaughter of an animal and it's processing where it's going to be processed into different cuts of meat and then shipped out to stores or butcher shops or whatever it may be. So uh, there's a lot going on that's different today. I will tell you that I have the first time I tried kibbe nai, uh, I was terrified. <laughs> Even though I ate sushi, you know, I was terrified about trying raw. Like, man, steak tartare, steak tartare, you're eating raw steak, you know. So uh, it shouldn't be that much of a shock, but it was the first time it, it was kind of unnerving for me. But I did. I liked it. I enjoyed it then, and uh, I've eaten it uh, every time it's been served uh, ever since. So that's been, that was a treat, but we had stuffed grape leaves, you know, the roll grape leaves. We had um, stuffed bell peppers, stuffed red bell peppers. Uh, Cousin Will likes to prepare those, and they're excellent every year. It's fantastic recipe, whatever the recipe is uh, that he uses. He, he's never shared it with me, but it's, it's fantastic. Uh, lots of uh, hummus and baba ganoush. Matter of fact, hummus and baba ganoush was made by my 14-year-old daughter, Annabelle, and both were excellent. Uh, lots of salads, a couple of different salads. We had a tabbouleh salad there. We also had a, a kind of a mixed salad, a green salad. Uh, very good. And of course, lots of um, pastries, pastries, uh, Lebanese pastries, baklava, and other desserts. So that was like a big family tradition for us. Happens every year. That was last Sunday. You may or may not have similar traditions. I'd love to hear if you do. As I mentioned earlier in the show, you can always give me a call. I love voice feedback. You can always give me a call. 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. And leave me a voice message. That voice message is recorded in a format that allows me to play it right here on the show. So like the next show, I'd be able to play whatever it is you share with me. I think that would be great. Lynn's sort of a conversational type quality to the show. So give me a call. Let me know what you are, how you celebrate Advent with family. Are there get togethers that you have traditionally during Advent uh, leading up to Christmas? I'd love to hear about it. 985 635 Four nine seven four. I'll tell you that you cannot find the recipe for kibinai on catholicfoodie.com, but in my cookbook, uh, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine, I do share recipes for both baked 
kibby and also fried kibby. The fried kibby you probably recognize looks like a little football. Uh, you'll find those in Greek and Lebanese restaurants all across the country. Very popular. Uh, those recipes are in the cookbook. And after the break, I'll tell you how you can get your hands on one of those cookbooks if you don't have one already. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. I'm Jeff Young, your host. We've got to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host. Welcome back. We're talking Advent today. Uh, before the break, I was telling you that uh, the kibbe, fried kibbe, baked kibbe recipes can be found in my book. It's called Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine. You can find it on Amazon.com, Amazon.com. Uh, you have it there. I've got a link in the show notes, by the way, to the book. Uh, you can. It's, it's available for the Kindle. It's also available hard copy. Um, and, uh, it was published by Liguori Publications. So you can also find it at Liguori.org, Liguori.org. They do have it available there. And, you know, if you, if you're interested, uh, this is certainly something I can do for you. If you are interested in perhaps, uh, getting a a signed copy for yourself, or if you wanted to maybe give away some signed copies as Christmas gifts, I can make that happen for you. I do happen to have books on hand here uh, with me. I do have some books uh, in stock. I usually keep some for any speaking engagements that I have, any any uh, talks I go to give. I like to have some books available to sell at those events. So I do have some in stock. If you uh, wanted to um, purchase uh, one or several to give as gifts, I can, and I can sign them and, and personalize them for you, I, I would be happy to do so. Uh, you can give me a call. Give me a call at 985-635-4974 and let me know that. Uh, or better yet, why don't you do this? Email me. Email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com and tell me uh, how many you want. And at least that will open up the uh, means of communication between us. And what I can do is uh, put aside however many they are that you want, and then I can get the details from you, like who you want to mate them out to and uh, and all of that. And then in the end, I can just send you an invoice that you can, uh, you can pay online uh, once we... We determine how many you want, all that kind of good stuff. If you want just one, that's fine. I could do that. If you want to give some away as gifts, I can do that too. So again, email me, jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Book has been uh, raved about. I mean, it it has been very well received. I'm so excited about that. You know, it's a, publishing a book is a joint effort. It's not, it wasn't just me. Yes, I wrote it. Yes, I am the one who put together those 78 recipes that you will find inside. I'm the one who wrote all the stories that go along with every single recipe. That was uh, by God's grace. That was the work that I did. Yes, I took all the pictures. (laughs) Every dish has a picture. Uh, There are pictures, photos of the trip to the Holy Land and of my, my family and our Lebanese celebrations and things like that. Uh, but it's a team effort. It, it was not only me. I had a fantastic editor who helped me with that, with the content of it. And the design and layout team uh, was just phenomenal. The, the, the book, because of the, the layout, the design of the book, the book has won uh, an award from the Catholic, uh, Catholic 
what was it? Uh, Catholic Press Association. Uh, it, it won third place this past year for uh, for design because it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's a great book for a, a gift. A lot of pictures and in addition to all the great uh, stories and recipes. Um, so it, it's won an, an award. That's fantastic. It's very humbling for me. I think it's, it's, it's a great uh Shout out, though, a great honor for Liguri and, and, the, and the work that they do and what they put out. That's fantastic. Uh, in addition, it's, it's sold very well. It's going into its second printing now. So that's uh, that's a, a lot of good news for me. Uh, I think that's a fantastic thing. And, and again, the whole point behind the Catholic Foodie book, the website uh, at CatholicFoodie.com, the radio show right here is what? What is the Catholic Foodie all about? The Catholic Foodie is all about me providing in the best way that I can Catholic culinary inspiration to help you grow in faith around the table. You and your family grow in faith around the table. That's really what it's all about. And that's what you're going to find in the book Around the Table, the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine. So uh, let me know if I could personalize any of those for you. Otherwise, it, the book is available at Catholic bookstores around the country. A lot of the Barnes and Nobles um, bookstores will carry it as well. And then, of course, online, Amazon.com and Ligori.org. Now, I was going to tell you a recipe. I want to share with you a recipe today. And, uh, I, you know, there's so many that we could talk about in light of the fact that we are in Advent. But I think what I want to do is something a little bit different because tomorrow is a big feast day for me. Tomorrow is the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I don't know if you know the story of Our Lady. Uh, it, it, you know, I lived in Mexico for two years. An amazing experience. Yeah, I, I've always had a devotion to Our Lady. Um but I never saw or experienced devotion to Our Lady the way that I did in Mexico. Um, it was so real. It was so tangible, ta- palpable. You know, you can almost touch it. It's every business you go into, just about, has some image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Maybe a picture, maybe a statue, something. You know, um, all the big feast days of Our Lady in, in Mexico, um, huge turnout of people at mass uh, with processions, with images of Our Lady and songs, special songs sung to her. All, all this stuff that, you know, in my very middle class, normal upbringing in America, South Louisiana, I did not, even as a Catholic, experience devotion the same way. It wasn't as, it was something that happened in church, but it wasn't something that happened like in my home or, or in, in the homes of friends and family and, and, and in public, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that you saw and you felt and you could, you could experience. And in Mexico that, you know, that, that, that changed. I, before I went to Mexico, I did have this conversion experience. I've talked about this before at the age of 16, where I knew that Jesus was real. I knew that what the church taught was real. The Bible was real and that Jesus was very much alive today and that Jesus loves me and, and he's present to me and he wants to have this deep, intimate friendship with me. And so that was just an amazing experience at the age of 16. And it was sort of sandwiched between these experiences of Our Lady. One, one on the front end being the experience of, of learning about Fatima, 
the message of Fatima and also Medjugorje because at the time, and I know, you know, the, the church hasn't made an official pronouncement on Medjugorje and, and I, I certainly submit to whatever the church says, you know, it, it, all I can tell you is whether it was true or not, or whether it is true or not, Medjugorje impacted me in my life in an amazing way and, and was instrumental in this conversion experience that I had at the age of 16. So whatever the church determines with Medjugorje, I'm fine with. I could go either way. I don't care because whether it was true or not true, God was able to use that because God's like that. God is God (laughs) and he can use whatever he wants, right? To reach hearts. And uh, he used Medjugorje and then also the message of Fatima to reach my heart. And uh, it was after that experience that I also stumbled upon. It was really actually almost right after this experience with um, uh, this, this experience of, of, of knowing that Jesus is real and the church is real and all of that. And it's a very real kind of a personal experience of his presence and love of me, you know, in a very personal, very tangible way. Uh, it was shortly after that, that I, I stumbled across a book that's called um, True Devotion to Mary, uh, written by uh, St. Louis de Montfort, right? Uh, a priest uh, from France way back when, I think the 1600s, if I'm not mistaken, uh, maybe the 1800s, I don't remember the, the dates, but a while back, put it that way. And I absolutely love that book. Uh, I read it. Um, I read other books about that book. <laughs> I read other books about Mary and consecration, being consecrated to Jesus through Mary. And I, I ended up making my consecration to Our Lady, um, according to the method of St. Louis de Montfort. And that all happened probably about a year or two before I went to Mexico. So I already have this very strong devotion, praying the rosary daily, you know, strong devotion to Our Lady. And then I go to Mexico and I experience this amazing, amazing uh, uh, devotion, public devotion to Our Lady. It was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So Our Lady of Guadalupe, special place in my heart. And I, and I can't ever look at that image without recalling the words that she she spoke to Juan Diego and kind of making them my own. Am I not here who am your mother? Am I not here who am your mother? If you were really translating it from uh, Spanish, it would be, she said, uh, mi Juanito, mi Juanito Dieguito, my little Juan, my littlest Juan. Am I not here who am your mother? It's like she's talking to me. My littlest Jeff, am I not here who am your mother? You have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Am I not here who am your mother? So I cannot help but look at the image with and, and not think of that. I, can, I, I think of it every time. And, and so it's a special day for me. We will, I'll be at the Abbey, uh, St. Joseph Abbey, celebrating uh, a day of recollection, actually, tomorrow uh, for the Benedictine Oblates and, uh, and, and, and just enjoying the day there. Uh, in prayer and and recollecting and thinking about Our Lady and how close she is to me and to you. Uh, so that's very cool. Uh, but we also in the family, we do things. We do things like cook and we do cook uh, um, d- different uh, dishes that could be seen as Mexican or have a Mexican flair or flavor. Uh, Mexican lentil soup, 
for Our Lady of Guadalupe. This is one that we've done for a couple of years now in a row. It could be served as a a main meal or an appetizer. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for that recipe, a lentil soup, Mexican lentil soup uh, for Our Lady. And also uh, fish tacos. We're probably going to do fish tacos tomorrow for dinner, which I love. I will put a link in the show notes. Don't have time to go through the recipe with you right now. The links will be in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. I can also include in there uh, my recipe for fresh salsa that you can make from scratch. You can even make it a day in advance and let it, um, you know, cover it, put it in the fridge and let it uh, marinate or or, or let the flavors marry together overnight. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful, fresh fresh salsa. Thank you so much for uh, being with me today here on the Catholic Foodie Show. So excited. So excited. I'll be praying for you today and tomorrow on that day of recollection. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And until next time, bon appetit.